Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Talking the Terror. I am one of your hosts, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and I'm here with my great co-host, number one, uh, all the way from Atlanta, is the one and only Yardley. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great, Kente. I'm glad to be here with you and Jen, Talking Terror. That's right. Uh, You know what's so funny? Uh, A friend of mine, she goes... uh, Oh man, I want to listen to your show, Talking Terror. Is it like you guys tell uh, um, scary stories? <laughs> I was like, yeah. no. The TV show on AMZ. <laughs> so, yeah, she said, then she goes, you guys should do that show, though. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. Well, I, I feel like if nobody heard, if, you know, if you heard that name out of context, I can see how someone <laughs> might think that. At least, hey, at least they don't think it's talking terror about some chick named Terror. Like we do a whole show about one girl named Terror or something like that. Mm. <laughs> also joining us is the birthday girl. Hey. Jen, how are you doing? And how does it feel to be legal finally? God, I've been waiting for this my whole life. I'm, t- I'm just so excited. All yeah. right. So I know you partied yesterday. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you probably I know you probably did some things that you don't want to tell the audience. So, uh when the show is over, you know, you're going to have to uh, clue us in of all the debauchery you got into. Yeah, well, I suggest you possibly take some notos before then because <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to keep you up or anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, uh so uh, happy birthday once again uh i mean uh you know at a certain point though unless you hit like a certain milestone for me at least eh, it's just another day i don't put a whole lot into it you know uh are you that same kind of person oh are you kidding me Uh, i i openly give my you know paypal email address to everybody who wants to send me birthday cash it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) I, I feel you on that. <laughs> I definitely feel you on that. Um, also, no, uh, uh-huh, no, actually, actually, you know what? It's it, you're right. Actually, at a certain point, it's really just all about kind of getting everybody together because they don't see everybody all year long. So that's actually more fun than any other part of it. But yeah, hey, the presents are not bad. They're not bad. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I know this is talking terror, t- talking the terror, but um, uh. I'm just curious. Uh, we'll start with you, Jen. What's your favorite kind of birthday cake? Or do you even like cake? Uh, you know, I if I had to pick a, a birthday cake to kind of have, it would be ice cream cake because I am not a huge cake eater. What? Are you human? Yeah. I, I wish that I was, but, you know, no. I'm part fish, remember? So, you know. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you are definitely part fish. Um, the whole ice cream thing kind of works better. Well, okay, I like ice cream cake. Ice cream cake is good. It's expensive as hell. It seems like it's overly expensive. Ice you know, cream cake. Yeah, right, but quality women demand quality stuff. So <laughs> That's true. That's yes. true. So lo- no long John Silvers for uh, Jen over here, uh, Yardley. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> Not going to do it. <laughs> All right, so duly noted. Uh, what about you, Yardley? What's your ideal uh, birthday cake? <sighs> Birthday cake, probably a uh, key lime. Really, I never had Ooh. that key lime. It sounds good though. I like key lime pie, so mm. yeah, it's pretty good. That's my 
that's my new that's my new jam especially on the holidays okay mm. all right you know one thing I, I love about yardley and i don't know we haven't really got into it jen is that uh you know me and yardley we're foodies right we love a great meal you know everywhere we go you know uh you know take us to the best restaurants um are, are you the same way jen I I am I actually cook a lot. I in fact, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm actually creating a cookbook and so and it's all about it's it's basically about movies and meals together, like pairing the right movie with the right meal and stuff like that. Oh, wow. But I've but I've also uh sort of learned that uh you know, eating out is not always the best experience that Oftentimes for me, the best experience is I cook for people and that appreciation goes a long way for me. So I would actually rather stay home and cook a meal than go out and uh, and have a meal out. So. Mm. Okay. I mean, a woman, I, a woman who cooks, you're a rare breed these days. I do, I do love to cook. And not just do I love to cook, but I really love that like comfort food, you know, food that's kind of like... The stuff that makes you want to sit around the table. And yeah, I like that kind of stuff. Now, I feel kind of bad. We're talking about food and our crew on the, the terror. Uh, they don't have it like like we have it uh, at this point. They, uh, they have plenty of food. They have plenty of food. It just happens to be riddled with lead. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, unfortunately... Uh, I didn't get a chance to see the episode yet. So on this one, I'm going to um, hang back a little bit. So I'm going to actually hand the mic over to, to uh, I was about to say Tara, <laughs> I mean, to Jen, the birthday girl. And uh, you're going to drive the conversation. So um, uh, the name of the episode was uh, A Mercy. So, uh, you know, let's have a conversation about it. All right. Well, I, I, I have already, just right out of the gate, I've got a question, uh, especially for you, Yardley. Uh, what do you think that the title, A Mercy, had to do with the episode that we saw? Well, it was talking about Stanley and his actions at the end of the episode. At least that was my perception of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I wonder, honestly... Uh, how I, I wonder honestly how profound that sort of feeling that he had must have been to sort of elevate all of those actions to the to the point that they were. Uh, to me, that was sort of. I mean, I hate to jump to the end first, but it, there was something amazing about what was happening there. Yeah, you know what? I I, I definitely agree with that because you know prior to us. You know, I'm doing this show tonight, and I think you were in the same boat. Um, I watched it twice, so to kind yeah. of freshen myself up for right now, uh, I watched it again. And that's definitely one of the highlights because one of the things that kind of popped out to me was when Crozier had showed up. And I know that we're going to, you know, we're going to go back to the beginning and work our way back. But when he showed up, he was impressed just like I was at the way that they had the carnival, you know, set up and the way that they panned around and showed you, you know, all of the nice things that they set up for this, uh, for this party that was desperately needed in one aspect. 
I thought it was cool how they gave you a view of all of the great work they did. They made sure they had Crozier comment on it. And then the devastation that ends up happening to it is, you know, makes it even sadder. So, you know, these guys, um, these guys, and I, and I don't know about the tack that Crozier took. I don't know if I would have been able to tell the people, you know, at the party that we're, <laughs> that we're going to do it, even though the events that happened later would have, you know, would have kind of brought everything down literally. I just don't know, you know, as a guy who's in charge, I think my heart would have had me wait until the next day. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, uh, although, you know, this does sort of speak pragmatically to who Crozier is. He is just so incredibly, uh, okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip this around. One of the things about Crozier in the carnival that was so stark was basically he was the sober man there, right? And everybody else was basically where he's been sort of up to this point in his journey. So for him to be the sober man was a, a bit, uh, it was a stark contrast. But the, but the thing that got me about Crozier was he decided to tell everybody it, it feels like he decided to tell everybody after he saw the two guys basically in the giant pot cooking yeah. <laughs> like they were yeah. just, okay, this is too, a little too much foreshadowing perhaps. And uh, yeah, that seemed a bit crazy. But th one of the other things that I really loved about sort of where Crozier is at mentally is that I, I feel like this was an aha moment for him. Like, see, I was right and, and I don't mean this in a, uh, like, he was behaving sort of like, you know, okay, well, here's all the hubris that I have, kind of like, uh, like, you know, Sir John had. More like, see, if y'all would have just listened to me from the beginning, maybe we wouldn't have had to go through this. Yeah, 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 agreed. And, and something else that um, I was wondering about um, with the actions of Stanley um, at the end of the episode do you feel like I don't even want to say that the guy's a martyr because I can kind of understand why he did what he did. I don't know if I necessarily I don't know if I necessarily agree with how he did it, considering that, you know, people were going to die outside of, you know, being poisoned to death eventually. I don't know if I you know agree with that tact but how do you feel after you know once he once he died and i think him point you know setting himself on fire was kind of a i don't know maybe a penance for some of the things that you know <laughs> that that he did leading up to that but do you feel like like stanley didn't really feel like a villain even though what he did was really messed up you know i didn't really feel like you know i kind of understood i didn't really like what he did it's kind of like a it's kind of like Killmonger and Black Panther. You, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you know, you know, you might not agree with all the reasons of like, like how he did it, but you understood and you agreed with the reason why he was doing it. And, you know, you didn't like his tactics, but his actions were definitely justifiable. But uh, do you feel like his character as a whole, do you feel like that kind of made him a bad guy to a lot of people? Well, you know, in, in this particular episode, right, it, first of all, I have to say that this just deviates tremendously from the book. Um, something similar to the carnival happens, but it's on the ship. And uh, they do some pretty amazing things uh, with the with 
sort of what happens to make it feel chaotic and crazy. And um, basically, Tunbach attacks everybody on the ship while they're having this huge play. And <clears throat> it, it, it's pandemonium. It's just craziness. And as you're reading, you're left with this very, uh, it, it's almost a desolate feeling <clears throat> of fallen hope. You know, what they, they hear these guys had just a tiny bit of uh, sort of pleasure among them and reality just came literally crashing back in. <clears throat> and so in some ways, this sort of mirrored that. But it, I think in, in, it was very well done storytelling, which is what I'm going to circle back to. In the very beginning, um, we have by... Uh, we have kind of a setup for what I think was supposed to be, this is, this is why the self-immolation scene kind of happened, right? Mr. Blanky is telling the story about basically the darkness that is inside of everybody um, and how it sort of leads you to desperate thoughts and thoughts that are just below the surface, but don't yeah. surface until something big happens. And I I got the feeling that what the writers were trying to do is kind of draw that all that draw that narrative all the way down to there's a darkness inside of him and this was the ultimate way of illuminating getting it out set it on fire. Oh wow. Those are some great points. It's almost like I just want to sit around and just <laughs> and just listen to you because you, I, I can really tell, and this goes back to when we were talking about the first episode, you are a really big fan of this material. And when you were bringing up the fact that some of that was a change from the book, since we're not going chronologically, let's talk about another change from the book that I, you know, that, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, in this episode, we had an opportunity to see um, Lady Silence, and she was out there trying to survive. And then, of course, it's uh, Tunbach shows up, and she performs a ritual. I guess it's like a binding ritual or something for um, for this thing, so to speak. And we see her out there doing the ritual where she literally, you know, starts cutting out her tongue. So. Jen, in the book, uh, and you were mentioning this back in episode one, that, you know, Lady Silence literally never, um, that you know, she never spoke. And, of course, on the TV show, she said a few things and then went silent, um, you know, after that major death. So this was a change from the book, right? Because in the book, they, the ritual was already performed with her character, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. and, and it, and in a, but, okay. But, but I think personally that this, from, from an adaptation standpoint, this really worked because here you have a character who doesn't, in the book, Lady Silence's role is so sort of almost two dimensional. Well, I shouldn't say two dimensional. I should say one dimensional. It's it. She occupies the thoughts of people, <clears throat> of the crew, and so we learn a lot about how the crew feels about her through their own thoughts. But we really never get kind of Lady Silence, you know, doing things of her own accord. So as an adaptation, this really worked because it kind of gave Lady Silence her own measure in the story. 
it made her fully responsible for becoming a shaman. It made her, in, I, I think, although I'm not 100% sure, but it seems to me that what she was saying was, uh, I'm binding myself to you. Uh, and I, I don't know if I heard this or if somebody told it to me, but her saying Tunbok's name was like a, a, a forbidden thing. And so uh, when she cut out her tongue, it was basically like atonement for doing that. Now, that obviously that does deviate. It deviates a lot from where the source material is from. But like I said, it's, it's kind of a nice character arc for her. Yeah, I, you know, do you feel like her character, do you think with the liberties that they, you know, they have the opportunities to take for the TV show. Do you think that her character is going to have a little bit even more to do in the next few episodes? Cause it's only a 10 episode uh, arc, right? Yeah. And, and I do think that she does have more to do. I, I, I can, you can kind of feel that building. Um, yeah. But I, I honestly don't know exactly what that might be, except I feel pretty certain that we're not done with Tunbok yet. I don't feel like that's, even close to the end. Like in some ways, I think that this episode really set up a, a a beautiful juxtaposition, which it has sort of narrative threads all the way through it that says, okay, look, this is the story, right? Of this supernatural bear who is controlled by a shaman, but rather than go through just it being about the bear, they do a phenomenal job of showing us how incredibly frightening human beings are in desperate situations, Agreed. never mind the supernatural. You know, everything that happened in this episode was just super eerie because the people are really starting to get weird. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. And for two straight episodes, you know, the previous episode, we had an opportunity to see Tunbach. Um Actually, the the whole um, creature when he was um, after Blanky on the ship. And this episode, we actually got a great shot of Tunbach. Just, you know, our ability to see the face. And as I was mentioning uh, last week on the podcast, I was saying that the characteristics in the face, you know, it looks really grisly, but there's almost something human <laughs> you know the way that the face looks it's the shortened snout and i think i think in the source material and you know if you look at certain fan art or things like that online but i think based off the source material tunbach is almost like a big polar bear with a really long neck and that's something that we haven't really seen on the show as of yet but i have to say that thing looked pretty grisly and you know, even though their budget might not be the biggest for this show, I think they did a pretty good job with what they had to give us a really good look at the monster. Yeah, and he the the thing that I think works in this situation in terms of it being kind of a TV adaptation and all of our thoughts are not swirling around in our head as it is when you're reading a novel, is that what they show us feels real enough so that if you if you saw it, you would still go, oh my God, this is crazy. But it's not so abstractly unreal that we as the viewers, without, you know, super awesome CGI, f 
feel like, well, that's, you know, it just looks goofy or it just doesn't even look like, well, why are these guys afraid of that when it just looks crazy? I, I think that they actually did a good job of sort of incorporating uh, something that could possibly be real. Remember how they kept saying, you know, it's got to be a big bear. And this way it doesn't seem like it's so out of, like it's not so out of the natural order of stuff that that it becomes I don't know I don't know if you understand what I'm saying but you know sometimes movies go in that direction or shows even go in that direction where the creatures become so ridiculous that it actually makes the audience turn away from them so yeah yeah I can I can totally uh I can agree with that I mean we've all had uh those experiences and there was something that you were talking about, you know, when you started off the show and you were talking about the provisions and the lead poisoning that these guys have been ingesting over years. You know, it's kind of funny when you kind of go to the opposite direction where we'll get back to the beginning um, of the episode when they were doing account of some of the provisions that they had, but they were also made mention of things that happen all the way to today. The fact that, you know, the lowest bidder ended up getting the contract, right? And that's oh, yeah. pretty, yeah, you know, that that's pretty sad. And, you know, of course they, you know, they get it for cheap and, you know, they get cheap product in return. And, and that's something that kind of stuck out to me. And it's just the fact that that type of stuff happens today, you know, and I thought that that was pretty sad. And unfortunately in this situation where they're at right now, that's got to be one of the saddest things to come to a realization about. Well, and, you know, the other thing that I think is maybe really important about this, too, is that everything that we need to know about what basically is even happening now, we were given clues about in episode one and episode two, sort of that setup gave us so much information that it it's almost shocking now um, how much overt foreshadowing was in there. So, it, and and yet they still manage to keep doing things that are surprising, which I yeah. I feel like is great because that's that's half the challenge. And especially for a core group of people who have already read the book um, yeah. and are fans, you know, to to do stuff that honors the the source material but still does something incredibly different is that's actually a pretty rare thing. Yeah, and, and how many people did you see online talking about poor monkey? And I'm like, no, poor people. But then again, the yeah. monkey. Yeah. The, I mean, the, <laughs> that tainted food got that monkey pretty quick. And uh, I mean, it's I, I guess it's kind of uh, not unheard of for people to root for the monkey. You know, monkeys are cute and, you know, they do their thing. But I was like, man, you know, good sir is just watching the monkey take that food to the head and literally go crazy. But I definitely thought that, you know, that was something that just kind of made me shake my head. And you, but you would think when you've got an expedition of this magnitude, I, it's just, you know, oh gosh, you would have to, you would want to think that somebody would say, you know what, we've got to make sure that these guys, you know, have the, the best of everything because it, it's a big deal what what they were doing and uh i thought that that was i thought that that was really sad but it actually you know after all of that happened it led into you know one of my i guess probably my favorite part of the episode um 
I'm going to let you, you know, I'm going to let you get the reins back. But once we get to Fitzjames and Blanky's conversation, I'm super excited. Well, uh, you know, something that uh, that actually re- just reminded me of what you said with Mr. Goodsir. Let's call him Dr. Goodsir now. He, uh, he, I can't even imagine knowing what uh, an empathetic person he is, <clears throat> how much compassion he has shown for just about everybody that has crossed his path, except maybe Mr. Hickey on one small occasion. Um, yeah. So to know that what he's doing is watching basically the monkey die, I, I felt so bad for Mr. Good Sir because I know he knew what was going on. I, I know yeah. that was that's <laughs> why he was feeding the monkey in the first place. You know, he uh-huh. really suspected what was going on. So that had to have been really big for him. I, oh I actually gosh. felt sad. <laughs> Yeah, I, I totally agree. But also the fact that, you know, we as the viewers, and of course, there are certain people who know, but it's just the fact that you're basically a walking time bomb no matter what happened because you've been ingesting that lead for years. So there's really no way at the end of the day, um, even if you escape the situation, you can't escape what's going on in your body. And I think that that is, uh, that that's one of the saddest things about it. You really learn that there are, you know, well, seemingly no way out, you know, for, for these people, one way or the other, the darkness is going to get them. Well, and the question becomes, does, does Mr. Goodsir, does he actually share? I mean, he shared that information with the doctor, but now that the doctor's dead, um, you know, do, do, does he take this to Crozier and does Crozier tell the crew or do they keep it from the crew? Because how could you possibly do a 300 mile track knowing that you were basically dying from the inside out already? I mean, it's crazy. It's rough. It's almost like no matter what direction that you turn to, like every, anything that you do or every decision that you do is bad, or there's a bad thing that's kind of brewing within any type of hope that you have there's like the demon of, you know, there's some bad, like, when is it going to hit? What's going to go down? And and that's kind of, that actually makes it more interesting to me because we're really going to get a lesson in the human condition and what types of things human beings do when the darkness, as was mentioned in the beginning of the episode, hits them at a crucial time. That's right. Well, and that's also why I think the very end, end of the episode, just as we leave, is the short sunrise and then it goes back down again. I mean, like, the... It, it that was sort of the symbolic meaning sort of the entire episode. It was fleeting hope. I mean, it's there, but it's there, and then it sets almost right away. It's just so fast. Still, still, you have to hold on to whatever small bit of hope that you possibly can because that's all there is. I mean, th- yeah, it's really fascinating, the, the the psychological condition of where people are. But I did want to mention one thing also about that psychological condition. The lead poisoning, It this is what happened in Rome, right? In Rome, they used to eat off of lead plates. And also the pipes were lined with lead that brought in uh, water from the aquifers and stuff. This is a, a, a very well-documented kind of thing. People suffer from hallucinations. People end up with all kinds of mental uh, issues. There, It's more than just a physical thing. It actually, it affects the brain. Your cognitive abilities stop or, you know, you, they, they get less and less. And so th- 
I have a feeling that that sort of what we're seeing in terms of of you know anybody having poor judgment is sort of related in the overall scope to that piece because that seems to be highlighted dramatically. <laughs> and and you know what? It's kind of it's kind of funny if we can just. Uh, um, I don't want to say that it's funny because it was my favorite part of the episode and it was dead serious to kind of give Fitzjames an idea of some of the things that awaited him as far as a, you know, a man's mental capacity. There was a quote when Fitzjames and Blanky were talking, when we got our first look at the wooden leg and compared to black sales, that wooden leg looked like a technological <laughs> advance <laughs> advancement for the ages. I, I really enjoyed that. And also it, I guess it doubled as a Stein a little bit later um, in, in the episode. Oh, that, was, that was funny. But the quote, if you're going to keep things from men, you better give them something in return and there'll be a tally for it later when things get hard. I thought that that was the best quote. Uh, of the episode. That was a good quote. Also, yeah. Also, can we just give a, a quick shout out to whoever thought about uh, dressing up him as uh, a Roman soldier? Because his original the role that I remember him the most from was from Rome. <laughs> oh, really? I, you know, I never yeah. watched. I never watched that series, and people were always telling me to um, to check it out. I just never had an opportunity. It, it, it was. It, I, I just thought that that was a nice little, uh, a, a nice little shout out to some past roles. I, I, you know, who knows if they actually thought that, but I thought it. <laughs> thought it was well, all right. Okay. Well. Well. Cool. All right. Where, where are we going next, Jen? What, what do you want to talk about? All right. I I want to make sure that we also talk about the whole Armitage issue because I feel like that is sort of it got it, it was quick, but it was important. So. The way that I inferred this was maybe it was Armitage that gave uh, Hickey the tobacco because he didn't rat him out because he basically kept his silence. And I I loved that exchange where yeah. basically Hickey is like, yeah, no, I, I got nothing. Um, I, I don't feel remorseful because and that to me, that seems like that's his character. I mean, his character just feels like a chaos character. Yeah, yeah. You know the character. Yeah, at this point in the series, what do you what do you feel about Hickey? I'm kind of indifferent towards the character, to be honest with you. Which which, which I feel like is right because he's like chaotic neutral, right? I mean, yeah. not to you know keep, but but I love that trope because chaotic neutral is yeah no you don't really he's not, he doesn't stand on either side he just is the element of sort of chaos and you see that he also can do some pretty. I don't want to call it a brave thing, but he definitely did the right thing. Even though when he stabbed through the tent, he stabbed the doctor. He still yeah. freed all those men. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, true. Doesn't, he doesn't have he he's he's not he's not all a bad person. He didn't want everybody to die, and he didn't mean to stab the doctor either. So clearly, he's not just like a bad guy. He's just a chaos element. Well, you know what? I mean, that's true. However, he could have easily have gone a foot and a half to the left and just cut it at the seams and nobody would have died. <laughs> I, I, do, I, do, I do sort of wonder what was going on with that, but I don't think that that was his choice. I don't know. Yeah, it, it like seems, was- it just seems kind of shady because he totally knew when he was saying stand back, he totally knew that people were pressed against it though. So, I mean, it almost like if I was a person and I, I, I just let's just say I just tuned in and I saw that part. I would have thought, oh my gosh, he meant to kill that guy. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> it would have just, it would have just, I, it I do. It would have seemed that way. And then, you know, they they shot it. There was actually an overhead shot when he was cutting up. And that's how I knew that just right to the left, all he had to do was just cut there because, like, nobody was there. But that was actually one of the, you know, the the highlights of the episode because, of course, once he cuts up, you know, the, the, the other doctor falls out and, you know, in true TV fashion, you know, a stab wound kills you instantly. So... <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of funny. And, you know, like I said, too, the, 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 they, they actually did a good job. I think they did a good job of sort of recreating the kind of chaos that was or should have been the bear attack scene. Because, the, because there's, it, it's very hard, actually, to get a group of people this big, right, off of the ship and to uh, any kind of location where something really chaotic can happen. And the, I... I, I didn't feel, although that one part felt contrived, most of it didn't feel contrived at all. It just felt like, yeah, this is exactly, everybody wants to go home, everybody wants to experience a bit of nostalgia, everybody wants to, you know, remember what it is that they're doing out there in the first place, or what what yeah. it is that they have to go back to. And I, I really think that they did a pretty good job with it. It's it, The thing that I didn't like was there there was... There were some moments in the carnival scene where I felt kind of like um, like it should have been a little bit more uh, clear to us that each, not just each room was kind of a different place, but sort of really setting up who was in each room because yeah. that felt important, you know, and it, it kind of passed by pretty quick. But other than uh, that, I really liked it. Well, definitely agreed. And to kind of piggyback of, off of what you were saying, that how Crozier was talking about how the things that they were doing reminded them of home. I really love how he intertwined that into his speech, telling men, hey, there's a reason why you created this. It reminds you of home. So that's yeah. going to and he used that as inspiration to say, that's why, you know, <laughs> we have to walk 800 friggin miles to Ford um, resolution, which that in itself, I mean, that, that has to be a, that's a beastly trip on foot. And, and yeah. I, I just, I, I don't even, for me, I almost feel like, and this kind of goes back to what we were saying about command structure and keeping people in line. It would really be hard for people not to speak up about not wanting to do that. But at the same time, staying there and dying isn't really an option either. But, oh, man, I, I definitely that that's one of the reasons why you tell people after the after the party, <laughs> you know, yeah. what I mean, because that, well, that, that's rough. That you, you bring up a really good point, and it was one of the things that sort of uh, just momentarily was fleeting in my brain about why was uh, why was Jobson combing uh, Crozier's hair? And of course, he was combing his hair because the, because appearances are everything, and I mean that both sort of on a metaphorical kind of a way, and and also on, in a literal way. In everything that was happening, everything that is happening is all about appearances for the men. So when you need to be disciplined, you're disciplined. When you need to look the part, you look the part. You don't, there is no halfway. And I think that's what Jobson was trying to say. You know, this isn't, this is actually all about what is on the inside of us spills to the outside. So if we go the opposite way and we make our outsides as, as 
good looking as possible, as in line as possible, then maybe our insides will feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. You, you make a good point. And how, you know, at this point in the series, you know, I, I'm still, I'm very, I'm a very big fan of Dr. You know, of Dr. Good sir. So I know that only means that at some point he's probably going to get destroyed in this movie, but I, I really do. I really do like, I really do like his character. And one, you know, one of the things that I was mentioning previously, how I was thinking that he and lady silence um, would have an even closer relationship. And, and you know, I, I have no idea cause I have not read, you know, the full book, I don't even know if anything's really going to come out of their relationship. He, he's a very inquisitive person, just like you mentioned. He's a doctor, so he's always wanting to know, you know, what's going on with people in general. But I almost feel like uh, Lady Silence at some point is going to have some type of a connection to someone else before this thing is over, just mainly because, you know, we're just losing more and more bodies. You know, each episode, you know, you know, more and more people are dying. So the pool is going to kind of shrink. So I'm just wondering who else she'll end up having a closer relationship to at some point. I'm not necessarily talking about romance or anything like that. I mean, who knows, you know, it's television. They always tend to go there somehow. Now, granted under these circumstances, you would wonder how some people would get together on that level. But I think she's, there are going to be some things that she can, that she's going to bring to the table that may or may not save a few people in this thing. Well, I, I think if she's if she was going to get close to anybody, it would at this point, which as far as all we know, it would be Crozier, and and for a couple of different reasons. But or maybe Mister. No, I don't think so. Not Mister. Blanky. I just I don't see him as being the. We yeah. heard what he said about about Sir John at the beginning, <laughs> and yeah. after that, I'm not sure anybody wants to get close to him. But um. But but that, but see, I, I think based on, you know, what happened in the last episode, that also is what mm -hmm. his strength is, right? His strength is this yeah. kind of superpower pragmatism. Um, and Crozier still has some, you can feel it in kind of what he's doing. He, Crozier basically gave up what he felt like was the most important thing to him at the time, which was drinking, right? I mean, clearly that was in his essence, and he gave that up for all those men. And the men now, I think that, that like that sacrifice really means something in terms of what he would expect back from the men. And I don't mean like, you know, he expects for them to understand what he's been through because it's been a secret. I mean, I mean, from a command point of view, I think that Crozier has pretty much made this huge sacrifice now yeah. understanding that leadership is really in the balance and Fitzjames did a good job but you know we can see that Fitzjames still doesn't quite understand how real leadership works because he was yeah. too much a part of it he was not removed the way that perhaps the officers should have been a bit more removed in order to keep him from being part of the you know the the rabble if you will well, I do see that the collision course to Crozier being, you know, one of the last people standing, I think we can kind of see him being on a trajectory of that. Now, whether or not people survive, who knows? But um, I think that almost by default, 
and the dominoes falling, I do think that if um, Lady Silence, I, I guess at the end of the day, I could totally see her and Crozier um, in some capacity of working together, you know, through this situation uh, somehow. I just don't feel like Crozier's the type of character that there's going to be an okie doke with, you know, <laughs> at the end of, you know, at the end of this journey. Oh no! Well, and I, I, I think I think we have now passed the threshold where, yeah. uh, where anybody who isn't broken, is is somehow salvageable. It's not. I don't think it's like that. I think even even Lady Silence cutting out her tongue, which I I had this I had this feeling that that's what they were going to show, and I think I may have even said it. Um, I had a feeling that that's where that was going. That 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 they would show us basically that that's what needed to happen, um, but. The, but the idea that that somehow Crozier and Lady Silence that I shouldn't I guess I should say it like this right Lady Silence by cutting out her tongue she became the shaman right she became who her dad was uh-huh. and so she now assumes a mantle of responsibility on her shoulders which is far different and I think removed from men in a way that is maybe for us at this point in in the series not really we can't really figure that part out because i guess you know she could go in the direction of okay well i want to protect you all but on the other hand if she's truly the shaman and and she's doing what is right by Tunbach, I don't know if that is necessarily true, right? Because if she's his guardian, then she would have then 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 basically her wishes don't mean the same. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she can't really protect them. Yeah, that's that's true. And and, and Jan, I know you're going to laugh at this because like there's been a theme over the last uh actually over the weekend about um, people cutting their own tongues out. You know, you had this episode of the terror where she cuts her tongue out. And then I went to the movies and I saw that movie, um, uh, truth or dare. And there's a sequence oh, in that. <laughs> Did you see it? That's right. Yes. Yeah. And then the sequence at the end where the guy's got to cut his, got to cut oh, his tongue God. out. So the, yeah, that's just, the, it actually made me laugh when I saw it. I was like, Oh yeah. So this is apparently, uh, the theme, and and let me be real with you, that's something that I could not do. The beast would have to consume me, and we'd have to lose the game of truth or dare. But I, I can't cut out my own tongue. Well, it, the, you know, the, I I think that this actually speaks in in some ways in that movie too. It speaks to the the idea of transformation, which is also what I think they were trying to get at with even the self immolation uh, part too. It's it's transformation. It's it's the ability of human beings to go from I'm I can only think this way to no I can actually do something far outside of what uh, uh of what I would expect even from myself and that is sort of a it feels like that's got some kind of thematic importance in in the terror it's not like it's not just about the men going through this ordeal it's about getting to the point where you are completely broken and then you continue to move on. And I have to say that in the book at this point, where they have the, the big play and where Tunbach attacks and all of that, 
this is exactly where I felt like, oh my God, everybody has got to just be so broken at this point. How could anybody have any hope walking forward? Oh my gosh, zero hope. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. just, it's, you know, you know, when, when we talk about, you know, the conditions that these individuals are up under, you know, the more episodes they go by, the more you really realize how devastating this, this is. I mean, I think uh, being out there in that situation and being alone and just knowing that, hey, if you die out here, that's where you're going to be. You know, yeah. like <laughs> nobody's ever going to find you. Nobody's going mean, to, well, you would hope that with documentation at some point someone would come along and see what happened but i I think that this this uh this series is doing a really great episode i mean not episode a great job of putting us in the shoes of the characters in this particular situation so i'm even more excited because we're only what three episodes away for the end of this right four we we're on episode six there's 10 episodes altogether, so we've got four episodes to go i can only imagine what kind of hell is breaking loose by episode eight? You know, in, in, in one way, it's like, oh my gosh, this is almost over. And wow, this is amazing. But in another way, it's like, oh my God, here we are. And we still have four episodes left. I, there is something almost desolate about that, which is just, it blows my mind. Yeah, I, I know, right? And, you know, we mentioned this before. I mean, this is going to be a great series to go back and rewatch. And it'll be funny to see all of the things that they were kind of flagging us for in the beginning episodes that we're going to learn about in the, you know, in the last four, where we're going to say, oh, okay, okay, I can see this coming. Oh, okay. You know, that's how this played out. It's going to be really fun. And, and for me, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I I don't even know if you can answer this without spoiling. So you know what? <laughs> well, what else do you want to talk about? Because I was going to ask you well, something, the, but I don't the, think the that you could thing... not spoil. All right, go ahead. The the only other thing that I really wanted to just make sure that we talked to, well, just you just touched on kind of is I, I found the 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 passage, the line where uh, the the book of uh, Xenophon gets passed from person to person. Oh, yeah. was such a huge thing because because unlike the march of the 10,000 we already know you know basically that no there it's not going to be a happy ending um we had that as the very first piece of of the story the very per- first piece of the story is we're gone don't follow us i mean you don't get much sadder than that already um and so for them to still have some kind of hope and try to pass it between each other was such a poignant sort of, you know, yeah, this is the human spirit. The human spirit says, be indomitable. And we know that everything is working against them to that end. So I I, I just found that so, uh, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. There's so many subtle little pieces that the writers put in here, which just kind of pass off for regular dialogue. But they are all so incredibly poignant. They're all so, and in a series this short, almost every line of dialogue feels important. Yeah, it almost felt like a die standing up type speech. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know what I mean? It, it was just, you know, hey, look, you know, I'm going to tell you the stories about this, that, and other insurmountable odds. I knew they wouldn't make it out, blah, blah, blah. But I think that that's the type of things that you you have to have something to hold on to. You, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I could definitely appreciate that. 
yeah, and it 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 I I feel in some ways I feel like that's sort of why uh, Jobson had given Crozier that speech in the beginning about his mom too. It was sort of the same thing. It was a, it was a bit of a uh, of a of a battle cry, you know. Yes, these are the terrible things that befall us, but see, there's still hope at the end. And whether, and for Jobson, it was different with Crozier because what Jobson was saying was, I've got you. Look, no matter what is happening, I got your back. I'm going to make sure that you get through whatever you need to get through. And that, I think, was big. But also in subtle ways, it's like all the men were sort of saying that to each other I got you. Yeah. Even even the whole hickey thing with Armitage, same thing. It, I got you. Like, uh, the, there's something sort of complexly wonderful about that, which I really liked. So let me ask you a question. With the first six episodes in the book, if you had to rate the first six on a scale of one to ten, what grade would you give it, Jen? I think that I would give this uh, a pretty solid B+. Plus. Okay, okay. I can totally. Nothing can compare to the source material. Yeah. I, it, it, it can't. I mean, it's just, there's something, look, Dan Simmons is a novelist, and his choice of words and and the, the, the avenues and the lanes that he brings you down are scary in a way that is, that you only kind of know when you're reading a book, you know, and it's late at night and there's, the wind is howling outside. I mean, there's something so incredibly personally intense about reading this from the perspective of the people who lived it. But watching it is a slightly different experience. And I I feel like they've done a powerful job with the adaptation, really powerful. But it's still, and it, it I'm not giving it a B plus because it doesn't match up to what I think is awesome production or anything like that. I just think nothing can compare to the source material. So... That's why I say it that way. Okay. Well, I, I can pretty much agree with that grade. And I, and I don't really think, based off of what I've gotten from the series up to this point, I don't think that things are going to really fall off uh, as far as quality or writing or how they're going to close this thing out in the next four. I, I, you know, I, I have pretty high expectations that, at worst, it'll be consistent, which will be a treat. I definitely hope that it gets a lot you know, a lot better. So um, I'm really, I'm really excited because we've only got f- four more episodes to see how these characters go out, so to speak. You know, I, I don't, you know, right. I hope, I hope all of them don't, but uh, it's, it's looking pretty bad right now. So <laughs> it, and, it'll and, be cool to see their mental stability over the next few episodes. And and I, I don't think that we should discount that we still have a lot more supernatural stuff that they could interject because we because like i said we know that the tunbok story is not done by any means they're about to basically enter into his territory right i mean we know that that can't possibly be the end of it all so so with that uh, there is the possibility for a lot more to kind of uh get into the mix with what we already know is sort of the desperate condition that they are already moving into yeah that's that's gonna be i mean everything is really interesting to me at this point i mean i i think that the meat you know the the so-called third act if we if we were to break this you know break this down into kind of acts i think that they're gonna close out the third act pretty 
pretty strong. And now, is there anything else we need to talk about? Because I ask, actually want to ask you about what you're watching. Because, you know, we were talking about Westworld earlier, and I haven't had an opportunity to, um, you know, to check it out. But seeing as we're, you know, we've got this good series going on and then, you know, there's a lot of good television out there. Uh, Westworld premiered, what was it, last Sunday? Yeah, it premiered on Sunday. Yeah, and uh, I just wanted to hear your thoughts. I haven't seen it yet, but um, is it is it holding water? It, it definitely is holding water. I, it, no, <clears throat> the first season of Westworld, if you haven't seen it, I just highly suggest that you watch it. It is... It, it's uh, it's it's a different kind of intellectual fodder, but the entertainment value <clears throat> of Westworld is almost uh, <laughs> to coin their own phrase. It's it's like a labyrinth, right? And I mean that's actually part of the show. There are so many twists and turns and and uh, seeming dead ends that you can go down, and there's something amazing about what happens. Now that the transition between season one and season two is complete, it, it, it's it's hard to even fathom where things will go from this point forward. It's it's simply for them to take such a simple screenplay by Michael Crichton and turn it into this kind of wonderland is yeah. it, it just fascinates me to no end. So. That and uh, just another shout out to AMC season. What are we on? Season three of Into the Badlands is still kicking. <laughs> another really? pardon the pun. Oh it's, my gosh. <laughs> it's good. Visually, Into the Badlands is so awesome. Really, I haven't seen one episode of Into the Badlands. And my friend was just telling me uh, he's out in Alaska. He was like, man. I mean, he made a comment. I think he like tagged me. And you know, into into the Badlands, uh, you know, the new season or whatever it was, and I was like, dude, I haven't even watched it, and he was damn near outraged. I was like, well, well damn, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I need to go back. I think it's on, um, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it on Netflix? Or, or is it or that Hulu? No, the first oh. two seasons are on Netflix. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have to definitely, uh, I'm gonna have to definitely check that out. And uh, Westworld's definitely a must. I'll probably watch that, um, if not late tonight, uh, probably you know tomorrow to get caught up on that. But you know, I've been, you know, I've been watching. For me, I've been watching, you know, Atlanta, and um, that that's always a pleasure. But it's just too short. You know, those episodes are only, you know, a little bit under a half hour. So I've been checking that out, and of course yeah. I've been watching this show, and it's and it's been pretty cool. And we've got Avengers: Infinity War coming out this week, and the embargo has been lifted somewhat um, today. So I'm excited to see that. So by the time we do our next show, uh, we might have we might have an opportunity, not necessarily on this podcast, but you know, Kente is going to want to talk about it. So if you're going to go see Infinity War, Jen, uh, we definitely like to have a, a conversation of this event that's been ten years in the making. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We, in fact, uh, Kente and I were talking to somebody who really is way more into Marvel than I will ever be. But as we were talking, boy, there are so many things that are going to come together. Just so many things. I, I, and I wish I wasn't as excited to see who's going to die, but I actually am sort of like, oh my God, who's going to die? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, 
Well, you know, before we close this out, now that you've mentioned death, uh, who's the one person that you think is uh, is probably almost guaranteed to go? I'm going oh, with Cap. Thor. Cap's got to go. I, th- I think it's Cap. Yeah, well, yes. I, I, I think we're looking at multiple deaths. I don't think we're oh, looking at just one. Absolutely. But I, but I, 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 I actually kind of hope that they do kill off Thor because I really want for them to do a Thor reinvention where they have a female Thor. Okay, okay, I can see that because I know that that's what um I know that they have that going on um, actually in the current uh, comics. Um, yeah, in the current comics, yeah. Or because I I personally Thor is like one of my one of my you know favorites. Of course, I've got a soft spot for Tony Stark. You know, um, you know, and Robert Downey Jr. You know, those characters. You know, he started the things off. I mean, the official MCU uh, universe once they started combining everything. But I think it's gonna be Cap. You know, I'm just I'm a big fan of that Thor of Thor character, and I, I think I think that he's got. I think he's gonna be a major part probably with the Guardians of. Um, of handling this situation with Thanos. So I think that kind of gives him a little, gives him a little plot armor. I think he totally gets out of it. Uh, I think he gets out of it alive. I do think that there are going to be multiple deaths, but I don't know if they're going to pull a comic book thing where, you know, the, you know, somebody gets the time stone and everybody's dead. And then they bring them back. You you know what I mean? Because there's, there's the ability to happen. Right. Because that could exist with, uh, with Dr. Strange. It totally but, could. Hello. And 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 the oh yeah yeah we're here. We were actually about to close out, Kenzie, but we were talking about um, but we were talking about Infinity War. But you mentioned um, Doctor Strange, and I was wondering, I was hoping that that character Dormammu would be back, but who knows how they could incorporate him into this? But it's gonna be, definitely be exciting. Uh, Kenzie, did you have anything to say about Infinity War? We were just talking about it was coming out, and uh, you know, just talking about we were excited. We were actually overall discussing some of the things that we were watching um you know so that potentially you know check out something new, i'm looking but, forward to uh, it do you have anything i'm looking forward to it i mean uh it, uh it should be awesome but then i'm like that's a lot of characters though they got in there I want, i'm just interested to see how they're gonna you know weave them all in uh maybe some will be lesser in this one and more uh you know more uh, in the uh, next one what's the part four right so that's coming up so we'll see yeah agree well, if, uh, do you have anything else to uh, to add Jen before we close this thing out yeah, I, I just hope that Infinity War has a director's cut that comes out and basically like adds in two hours of material that they probably had to cut out of the movie in order to make it fit in the theater that's what I hope yeah, I mean, uh, it, it looks like it's going to be a great movie. And the Russo brothers, I mean, come on now, they they definitely did a uh, uh, a great job with Winter Soldier, and uh, Civil War was pretty good. So you know, we'll see. You know? Yeah, they did. All right. With that said, um, let's uh, start off with you, Jen. How can people get you in social media and such? I am at Following Bliss on just about everything, and my blog is Critical Laughs Two L's dot com. All right, and uh, Yardley. Hey, you can follow me on Twitter at Millicent underscore Marker. You can get me at Kente F on Twitter, and also you can uh, get me 
uh, IndieRadio.org. And uh, we'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Talking the Terror. Y'all have a great week.